This is Money Guide with Mary Stirk from Stirk Financial Services. Now, here's Mary Stirk. Welcome to Money Guide with Mary Stirk. And today's topic is Should I Invest in Real Estate? With me today, I have Kelsey Banke, Certified Financial Planner at Stirk Financial Services. And we've done some research to help provide some information for you to help you understand whether or not becoming a real estate investor is something that is going to make sense in your own portfolio. Now, when I say portfolio, I actually mean that because real estate can be an asset class as part of somebody's investment portfolio. And there's a variety of different ways that you can actually embed real estate into your portfolio. It can be with actual land. It can be with real estate in buildings. It can be with a lot of different things. And we're going to dive into how you make money with real estate and what kind of real estate investment somebody might consider. Okay, so when you think about real estate, there's really four main ways that you can make money with it. And the first way, and probably the way that most people think about it, is having cash flow income from owning a property that somebody else is going to rent. Yeah, that's pretty common um, for for people to look at real estate and think about, you know, a, an income coming from that. So something that that supplements their other retirement incomes that's co- fairly consistent um, and something that they can count on all the time. So uh, probably the most common reason I see people investing in real estate um, around here, especially. Yeah. So you might be buying, let's just say you owned a rental house or an apartment building. And within operating it, basically, you're going to create a stream of cash from the rent that your tenant pays to use your property for a specific amount of time. So cash flow income can be generated from different things. It's not just rental houses or apartment buildings. It can be storage units. It can be car washes. It can be office buildings and things like that. So anything that you are going to be leasing for a value to someone and you own it and they're utilizing it for money, then that's how you make cash flow income off of real estate. Now, I think that specifically for this one, however, the biggest downfall or the biggest challenge people have with it is the maintenance and the upkeep and the management of it. Yeah, it can be a lot of work um, to keep up a property. I mean, I was chuckling with my husband about this. He's like, I don't want to keep up two houses. <laughs> Sorry, no, to do one. That's <laughs> a lot of work just to do one. Um, so that's that's something you need to, to pay attention to is that you can't just buy a property and never spend any time on it. It takes um, maintenance. It takes upkeep keep if you have tenants in it and they break something or, you know, the water pipes burst or hail damage or whatever. I mean, all all the things you have with a, a personal property all those problems can apply to a rental property too, and you need to be prepared to have a plan. Good news is, is if you don't want to do it yourself, um, there's services out there that can do it for you, but it will cut into your income uh, to some degree. If you're a super handy person and you like doing that, then that might be something that is right up your alley. Right. So, and I think you just keyed into something that's important. The handier, the handier you are and the more ability you have to actually fix things, easier it is to maintain things that you own from a real estate perspective and it doesn't cut into your cash flow to pay somebody to repair things. Now it takes time so you have to have the available time to do it but it can improve the cash flow if you're good at fixing things. 
Okay, the second way that people can make money from real estate is actually the real estate itself appreciating. So basically going up in value. So sometimes you'll see your house might appreciate in value. Um, but another way that that happens is that perhaps the, the land around the property that you own might change its usage and you'll see your property go up in value too. So a lot of times, maybe something all of a sudden is going to be moved into a shopping center and now all of a sudden they're buying up that property right and left all around it. So you might have a more valuable piece of real estate now because of the changes around you than you used to. Yeah, you're seeing this happen a lot in two different places, I would say, is one is in um, older downtown areas that mm-hmm. are being revitalized and being rethought and and that kind of vintage look is is coming in and they're taking old buildings and making them some com- something completely new, which is really cool. I really love those areas. The other place you see this happen is, you know, on the outskirts of a town as the town expands, you know, land that used to be farmland or, um, you know, prairie or something like that is now turning into lots for homes and, and um, commercial real estate and things like that. And all of a sudden, you know, your land is significantly increased from that perspective too. So, um, beyond just natural appreciation, there's there's those two opportunities that you see pretty frequently. One of the things that we've also seen this happen in is when you have kind of an, a landlocked area where there's a medical facility that is becoming more of a medical complex. So areas around hospitals, sometimes the hospitals or the medical clinics are looking to expand and they want to expand right in the same area. So things are all clustered together. They tend to buy the properties as they become available, and that can command a higher price um, because they want the location. They want to keep things clustered together. So that's how real estate appreciation, just simply outside influences creating your the value of your property to rise, can be a way that you make money in the real estate game. All right, another way is what's called real estate-related income. And that's going to be where you're making money in the act of buying or selling real estate for other people. So perhaps you're a real estate broker who's making a commission from buying or selling property or your real estate management company who gets to keep a percentage of the rents that somebody else owns because you're helping lease properties and things like that. But real estate related income from the buying and selling or the leasing of property is actually a very lucrative way that people can make money. Whole businesses are made in just that. (laughs) And then the fourth way that real estate can create money for you is what's called ancillary real estate investment income. And this one is kind of interesting because people don't always lump this into real estate. But Kelsey, share with us what, what kind of things does this mean? You know, this is things that take place in a, in a property. So if you have, um, vending machines or ATM machines or, um, you know, laundry facilities, things like that, where there's, um, because of the property, there's things that are beneficial to be on that property. And those things also create income. Um, it's, it's interesting because the types of these things going on is, expanding. Right. Um, you know, and it's changing because you used to see cigarette machines everywhere <laughs> <laughs> and things you like that. that anymore. You never see those anymore. <laughs> um, and, and some of them are coming back, you know, arcades used to be a really big deal. And now that's kind of this vintage thing where you go to some hip and hopping cities and these vintage arcades are like mm-hmm. a, a hot spot to go to. And in each time somebody deposits a quarter or swipes a card, you're, you're collecting some additional income from that property. 
Right. So this ancillary real estate income is really made up of these little mini businesses that are happening within some type of larger real estate investment. And it's they essentially let you make money from kind of a semi-captive set of, of uh, clientele. So if it's in an apartment complex and you're charging money for the laundry facilities, that's ancillary real estate income because you're making money inside the apartment complex from the laundry facilities and your captive audience is the people that live there. And this, pay attention because almost every business has something like this. Yeah. It's kind of crazy. Almost every um, business has some kind of ATM machine or vending machine or um, coin machine or something. It's it's really interesting. All restaurants pretty much or bars or, um, you know, stadiums, things like that have stuff like this. So it's, it's again, I, I find this one fascinating because of the multitude of different things that fall into this category. So if you're thinking about investing in real estate, then these are four different kind of areas that you should evaluate to determine what's the way that you want to dip your toe into the real estate market. So cash flow income, real estate appreciation, real estate related income, or ancillary real estate investment income. Now, before we go too much further, one of the things that we get a lot of questions about is this, is should I own my real estate in my name or should I have some kind of business set up or corporate structure to own that within? And I want to be very clear that my opinion is that you probably should not own any real estate in your own name other than perhaps your house. And there's a variety of reasons for that. So if you're going to be using real estate as a business opportunity or to actually make money on, I would recommend that you have some level of business structure that you put it in. And the reason is really to protect your own personal assets. Now, most people put their business assets that are real estate inside, inside of some LLC or limited liability company. And the reason for that is really to strategically protect themselves if something negative would happen on their land or on their property. Mm-hmm. And that sounds kind of like a scary thing in LLC, especially if you're not already in this in this realm of investing. But it's quite easy to establish and, and fairly inexpensive when you look at what you're protecting. Um, so talk with uh, talk with an attorney or, um, you know, do research to understand how this works and, and understand why it could be a benefit to you. Right. This technique is called asset separation because it really just protects you and your personal assets from your real estate holdings and some type of calamity that might happen. Somebody gets hurt on your property or if somebody sues you, they might be able to sue the LLC who owns the property, but that isn't necessarily going to break through into your own personal assets and drain you of everything else you have worked hard to accomplish. So that is something that is incredibly important when it comes to actual real estate investing and doing it in the smart way. Welcome back to Money Guide with Mary Stirk. And today we're talking about should I invest in real estate? Now, real estate is what we would consider an asset class, meaning that it's something that could be a good idea for you to have some of your money in. But I do want to caution you. It's not something you want to have all of your money in. And there's a good variety of reasons why not to have everything in real estate. Absolutely. I mean, it's 
the diversification is important regardless of what type of investment you're making. And around here, I, I have conversations with people. I'm, I come from a farming background. I have a century farm on each side of my parents' okay. mm-hmm. lineage. So uh, this is something I feel passionate about is that farm ground is, is fantastic and, and the Midwest is amazing. But, um, you know, the 80s did happen. Yes. <laughs> and, you know, most people didn't. The, the, the land wasn't worth the loan they had on the land and to to have and then farming it didn't didn't produce enough income. So if all you have is one type of property or one type of investment, you're running a risk that something crazy could happen. Same thing with um, not diversifying your location of property. You know, a natural disaster could wipe out a lot of your property if it's held in the same area. So, you know, we had that problem with the flood back Mm -hmm. in 2011. We had a giant flood where we live and my house is located about a mile and a half from my office. And what I learned with that is I wouldn't build my office so close to my house again because one natural disaster can take out both of them. (laughs) Fortunately, it didn't. We were displaced for them for a while, but it didn't destroy either one of them. Exactly. So, I mean, it, it's really hard when when things have been good for such a long time. It's really hard to keep in mind that they might not always be good, but you have to have that that little bit of um, fear, for lack of better words, to drive your diversification and make sure that you're being smart with your investments. And the truth is that markets fail from time to time, and it doesn't matter what the market is. So whether it's the real estate market or whether it's the stock market or whether it's the bond market, It doesn't matter. Every single market that's out there that's a capital market of any type has times that it's great and has times that it's not so great. But one of the reasons that real estate can be problematic is that most of the time you have a loan against it. And that loan is what we call leverage, right? So having leverage or having a property be leveraged means that you owe money on it. When you have a stock portfolio, Most of the time, it's not leveraged. Most of the time, you didn't borrow money to invest in those stocks. So the truth is that when you have leverage on an investment, if the market falls when you have leverage, then the loss is amplified. And so when Kelsey was talking about like the farm crisis and that all these properties had all this leverage on them and then it created such a problem and people lost their farms, the leverage piece of it itself was what created that issue to be so problematic for people. Yeah, if you're counting on the income from that property to pay the debt on the property and then all of a sudden the income's no longer there for something that you didn't have control over, it can put you in a tight spot. Exactly. Okay, so another reason not to put all your money in real estate is that real estate really does require more work than portfolios that are not real estate. So work from a property maintenance perspective can be an issue. Work from a lawsuit perspective can be an issue. Typically, somebody doesn't sue you just because you happen to own stock in a company. <laughs> yeah, well, and, and also, you know, filling it with tenants. We've talked mm-hmm. about that the, the income from rents is one of the main reasons people buy real estate. And it takes work to get tenants in those properties. So, again, you either need to do it yourself or you need to hire somebody to do it. And so people who have... a a goal of their their real estate properties, um, supporting them into their late years of life. Again, you either need to be able and capable to do those things, or you need to be willing to part with some of the income to get somebody to do those things for you. Exactly. All right. Now there's a lot of different 
ways that you can invest in real estate, a lot of different types of real estate that you can invest in. So if you're intent on developing or acquiring real estate as part of your portfolio, we want to talk a little bit about those. And also flipping real estate has become something there's lots of fun TV shows out there that you can watch about that. What I like about some of the TV shows is that they show the times that they completely fail (laughs) as well as the times that they succeed because not every flip is um, profitable. Exactly. And this is, you know, an area where it's interesting uh, because you can, you can own it and rent it to long-term tenants, but owning a piece of property and renting it to short-term tenants is becoming more and more popular. So you're seeing a lot of people that purchase, you know, I've, I've, family friends that did this purchase a condo in the place that they want to spend a lot of their retirement. They live in it while they're there and they rent it out the rest of the time. I've also um, had people I know that bought, you know, a, a duplex or a condo building lived in one of them and rented out the other ones. And then they're right there able to handle issues and things like that. But they're, they're, they're providing for their their uh, living arrangements, but also collecting some income from the extra space that they have. So what Kelsey's talking about primarily is residential real estates where you're living or you're vacationing and to stay or something like that. And those are those are arguably some of the most popular ones to set up for yourself. They're also the ones that tend to require the most work. They do. And, and the faster the turnaround on your tenants, the shorter the term, you know, your leases or the stay is or something like that, the more work it really is. Yep. It's more work. You can command usually a higher price. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I just rented last week a uh, property for my family vacation and it was several thousand dollars for the week. Well, you wouldn't have collected several thousand dollars for, for a week of somebody renting it on a long term, most likely. Um, so you're able to command a higher price, but it is, it is more work. So, um, something to keep in mind. Okay. Another route that you can go if you're interested in real estate investing is finding commercial real estate investments. So think about that in terms of an office building. And one of the benefits is they're usually larger spaces and you're charging by the square foot versus just charging by a period of time. So, you know, it's a little bit of a different formula in terms of how much you can command to charge with that. Um, And also commercial leases tend to be multi-year leases. So they're longer term. They're usually like three to five leases and sometimes even up to 10. And sometimes the commercial leases have something in them called rent escalators, meaning that there's a predetermined pattern where the rent is going to go up to cover inflation over the period of this can create a, a greater stability in cash flow when you have these longer term leases, unless it's an area that has significant inflation in in what you can command for a rent. And then you might be stuck in a lease that isn't paying quite as much as you could get on the, the open market. But in general, in a fairly stable area, it can um, create better stability in your cash flow over the long haul. The stability piece can be a double edged sword, too, though, because if all of a sudden you move into a hot market, Or if your property becomes a hot spot in town and it hadn't been before, if you're locked into an old lease with the rent escalators, it still may not be anywhere near what a new lease can be charged. So the longer leases can have benefits, but they can also have some downfalls to them. All right. Another way to invest in real estate is by using something that's called a real estate investment trust, also known as a REIT, R-E-I-T. And you may have heard that word before, 
But basically, when you invest through a REIT, you're buying shares of something that is a collectively owned set of real estate. Now, most of the time, REITs create a a set of properties that have some type of commonality. Like it's typical to see something like a healthcare REIT where it's investing in properties that are medical clinics or a nursing home REIT that's investing in nursing homes or maybe a Manhattan office building REIT where it's investing in office property in just downtown Manhattan. But the real estate investment trusts are looking for properties of a similar type that have a similar structure, meaning like they're looking for commercial rent or something like that. And you're buying it with a group of other people. And the name of the game with that is good management bringing in stable revenues and stable cash flows. That's what you're looking for. Yeah, a lot of times they're hoping to buy something um, that maybe isn't fully leased or or something like that and creating better stability in, in the rental income coming in. They're looking for an opportunity for appreciation. So all of those different types of incomes we talked at the beginning um, with good management, the REIT managers are trying to accomplish a lot of those, therefore then passing down value to the shareholders. Now, sometimes there can be some tax benefits in REITs and you have to look at the REIT to see how it's going to work. But rather than having the income taxed as ordinary income, sometimes the REIT is able to have it taxed as dividends because of the corporate structure of the way the REIT is set up. So that can be advantageous to you. One of the things you have to be careful of, though, when you're looking at the REITs is you have to look at geographic geographic condensation, like having too many properties all in one place. So being geographically diverse or having the same types of properties in a wide area or nationwide has less risk than having them all clustered in one area. If you have a big flood or if there's a tornado and it wipes out all your property, all of a sudden you've got (laughs) your REIT has a problem. (laughs) But diverse geographic locations can be a plus because you don't have as much risk. Another thing you have to look at when it comes to the REITs is the leverage percentage. So like we talked about earlier, the higher the amount of leverage, the bigger risk there is. It used to be that some REITs were up to 100% leveraged. Then it became more along the lines of 75% leverage. And now I really don't like to see REITs have more than about a 50% leverage because if they're getting much higher than that, it makes me start to question the management decisions to be acquiring properties solely based on leverage at today's interest rates. So there's a variety of different ways you can get into REITs. You can get into REITs through financial advisors. You can get into REITs through property companies. But you really want to do your homework to know whether or not a REIT is something that's an effective opportunity for you. And they can be interesting and effective because they are fairly, you know, when I say fairly hands off, you're not actually going out and buying the properties and maintaining the properties and getting the tenants and things like that. You're just putting your money in the pool and there's a management company doing that. So it's a, it's a nice hands-off approach. You do have to do the, the work to research what is a good one, what is a quality one, what aligns with your goals and you think is going to be a good return on investment. All right. So when it comes down to it, real estate investing can be a good option for a lot of people. It's not something that you want 100% of your money to be in. You want to treat it as an asset class and have a percentage of money in it at most And do your homework. Decide if you're willing to put in the time and the effort to make real estate investing work for you. Make sure you've assessed the risks and that you decide if this is a good option for you to dive into. And that's how you're going to know if you should invest in real estate.
Thanks for listening to Money Guide with Mary Stern. The views expressed are not necessarily the opinion of your audio provider and should not be construed directly or indirectly as an offer to buy or sell any securities or services mentioned herein. Investing is subject to risks, including loss of principal invested. Past performance is not a guarantee of future results. No strategy can assure a profit nor protect against loss. Please note that individual situations can vary. Therefore, the information should only be relied upon when coordinated with individual professional advice. Securities and investment advisory services are offered through Woodbury Financial Services, Inc., member FINRA, SIPC. Insurance offered through Sturt Financial Services, which is not affiliated with Woodbury Financial. Sturt Financial Services is located at 350 Oak Tree Lane, Suite 150, Dakota Dune, South Dakota, 57049 and can be reached at 605-217-3555.